Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So we are in week four. This is the final week of our Prepare for War series, but we have covered, um, unraveled really three different um, weapons that God has given us. Week one, uh, we covered learning about prophetic worship. And what prophetic worship does, it allows us to identify the mountain that is standing between us and God. It allows us to shout uh, in confidence and it removes that thing that separates us from God. And as we pray and as we speak that out, we can grow close to God and we can change Change the atmosphere, much like we did this morning. You know, the scripture says that, you know, when his people gather, when we come near, when we draw near, he draws near to us. And um, I love when God visits us during a worship set because you know why? Man, it makes preaching really, really easy. Because if I just said, let's pray and let's go home, God's already begun to do amazing things in our lives, right? But God wants us to grow. God wants us to apply his word. And that is the second weapon that he's given us is the power of his word. How will people be changed? How will they come to the place of salvation? Unless somebody speaks, right? So we know the power of the word is effective. It's alive. It is active. Um, It causes us to, to break the power of the enemy. It releases faith to overcome temptation, changes us from the inside out. It crushes the head of the enemy. It's the most powerful offensive weapon that, the de- that, that God has given us against the devil. Now for some of you, you might have a lot of Bibles around the house. It is time to knock the dust off of those and begin to read it, feed on it, and use it as the weapon uh, that God has given us. Amen? So if you missed any of these, we have a podcast available that you can go back. You can listen to those messages. You're like, man, they sound really cool. Like, man, I wish I'd have been here. Hey, you can go back, listen to our podcast, and follow up and catch up with where we're going. So today, we want to look at the third weapon that God has given us, and that is the power of unity. You know, I was really excited as God was kind of showing me these three areas that can really radically change our our life because we realize that you know the power of unity allows us to battle together how many of you are a little more confident when you have somebody standing to your left and to your right right we may not win but we're gonna be confident right but you know it, it, it encourages a boldness and an excitement that hey if you're gonna mess with me you gotta mess with them too well as the church do you realize that God says in his words that, that the church itself the enemy of this world will not be able to prevail against it it's the church right that would that, that the gates of hell would not prevail against now just one of us does that is that a good representation of the church no But as we collectively, as a unit of the church in unity, assemble and come together, that is what Jesus was talking about. And he said that the church would stand and be bold and push back um, all of the things that the enemy wants to do. But I want to start off by telling you there is power in unity when we stand together. The definition of unity is the state of being united or joined as a whole. That is togetherness. That is being connected with each other. Um... When we're joined together, how many, how many of you know we're often should be affected by each other, right? We should be affected positively, sometimes negatively. Um, we're all connected as the body of Christ. So what that means is when I hurt, you should hurt. 
And when I rejoice, you should rejoice. The Bible talks about many times it represents the body of Christ. We've heard that, right? So how many of you know the body is greatly affected when one part hurts? Let me give you an example that if this has ever happened to you, you will immediately understand what I'm talking about. If you've ever walked down the hallway and you go left and your pinky toe goes right, it's a bad day. If you've ever caught your pinky toe on anything, it may seem like the most insignificant part of your body, but at the moment of striking it across the threshold or the wall or whatever it is, you feeling it deep down? Like I'm talking about causes you like, oh, excruciating. Everything hurts. Things you didn't even know hurt start hurting. You hit that pinky toe on that door. But all of a sudden, the whole body realizes that there is pain and agony and you want it to stop. Now, if you didn't break your toe, it's momentary, right? For those of you who broke your toe, I am so sorry. I've never done that, but I swore I broke it. Right? Has anybody never hit their pinky toe on anything? All of y'all have? Man, that must be a lesson from the Lord right there teaching us something. Because when one part of the body hurts, guess what? We should all be affected by it. Because in reality, when we're in that much pain or a part of our body is in that much pain... We would just have to ignore everything to pretend like we don't feel that. And that's what God wants. He wants us all being united. He wants us being combined in one. And I started thinking about the power of unity and realizing that if you hurt, I hurt. And if I rejoice, you rejoice. And then I started thinking about the sin of Achan. Stick with me just for a moment. When we look at this story of Achan, um, it, it's in Joshua 7, but this is the story that, is, that follows right after Jericho. Now, if we look in the Bible, how many of you have never heard the story of Jericho? Okay. Recap, just to, so they walk around the city, the, you know, seven days, the last time they walk around it seven times. And what was happening in this story? God was fighting their battles for them. They said, hey, follow these instructions. Now, if I'm walking around a city one time or seven times, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm looking at a wall of impossibilities and I'm like, Lord, unless you come through, there's nothing we're going to do to conquer this city. Well, we know the last day they walked around it seven times and they gave a mighty shout. And what happened? The walls of the city collapsed and they were victorious. Well, coming out of this battle, the Lord said, do not take any of the consecrated things. Do not destroy everything. Now, in this, when there's obedience, there is great outcome. When there is disobedience, there is painful outcome. But if we look at this story... Um, they were victorious. So coming out of this story, now everybody did not know that one of the family members of the people of God decided to violate what God had told them to do. Now, we may think like that, right? It doesn't matter if I sin, pastor, it doesn't affect you, or if you sin, it doesn't necessarily affect me. We don't realize that we are really connected and what you do affects me and what I do affects you in the global big picture of what God wants to do in the people of God. Let me keep going with this story. So we see in this story that he takes those forbidden things and he hides them in his tent. So the next, the next fight that they had was against the, the city of Ai. And they, uh, they looked at the city and they just sent a few thousand. They sent like 3,000 men. Because if you just conquer Jericho, guess what? You're walking a little arrogantly prideful in the name of the Lord in your next battle. I mean, if I just showed up and you know we just took out Jericho, I'm probably going to run and be like, yeah. Yeah, it's game over for us. But what happens because of the sin of one family member? It says that they went and it says that actually 36 men were killed 
And they chased their tails all the way back to their camp in humiliation as the people of God were defeated. And the men of God are smart enough to say, okay, something happened. In one story, God was with us. In this second story, God was against us. What happened? So they start praying, they, they seek the Lord, and then they start going tribe by tribe, family by family to figure out what happened. I'll tell you what, if I'm successful here and I lose here, I'm asking questions, Lord, what in the world? If you've rejected us, let us know. But it was because of one person's sin that it affected everyone. So if we look at this story, they give an account and they ask Achan, hey, what did you do? He was unfaithful regarding the devoted things, the things that were to be consecrated to the Lord. So he hid some of the plunder in his tent. Now, sometimes we think it's no big deal. It's just going to affect me. Do you realize 36 men were killed? 36 other men, not including Achan. And I guarantee you their families were greatly changed. But what happened to Achan? It says that they brought him, they gave him account. They gave an account of what he did. And actually him, his wife, and his whole family and all of his possessions were destroyed. I'll tell you what, put the fear of God in you. Why do I tell you this story this morning? Perhaps what you do contributes to the big picture of unity. And for God's hand of blessing and provision to be on his church, what I do matters. What you do matters. Mutually, what I do affects you and what you do affects me. We have to realize it matters what I do. But when I'm hurting, you should hurt. When I am rejoicing, you should rejoice and vice versa. That we should all be in this together. That we realize we are more connected than we think we are. Because God wants to provide a unity in the body of Christ that maybe. We have never seen, but we have to realize we're all connected. Kind of a scary way to look at it, right? Tell you what, it sure makes me be like, whoa, whoa. When I start thinking of doing something dumb, it's like, oh man, what's it going to cost? Who's it going to affect? And it's always bigger than me. So we have to realize what I do in disobedience not only affects me, but it can also affect you and the other people of God. All right. So on the other hand, I don't want to stay in the doom and gloom and you're all bummed out. I could be like, let's pray, let's go home. You're like, oh no. <laughs> Worst message ever. What's on the other side of that? Obedience and submission to God releases his grace and his favor and his provision. So when, we, when we're obedient to what God does, we can see great things. We can see blessing in our lives. So Psalms 133, 1 through 3 in the NIV. It says how good and pleasant it is. When, when God's people live together in unity, it's like the precious oil being poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The King James Version actually says that he commands his blessing. So this is a blessing that covers everyone. Doesn't matter what you do or who you are, everybody. Blessings go everywhere. Um, I was, my kids were camping out in the backyard about a month ago, and as the sun began to go down, how many of you ever been out in the evening when the dew begins to set? And even inside the tent, they said, Dad, why is everything wet? Well, they, had the, they didn't have all the doors and windows closed, but that dew got everywhere. That's the kind of blessing that God is talking about. It's not just affecting me. Everything I do, everywhere I go, there is blessing not just getting on me, but getting on everyone. It says that the blessing goes from the top and it goes all the way down. You know, it's like pouring, you know, in the shower. How many of you have ever gotten the shower and not got completely saturated? When you get underneath the flow of that water, how many of you know that it covers and it runs over and it goes everywhere? 
That's why we have shower curtains to keep it somewhat contained. But that is the kind of blessing that God is talking about that it just runs from the top and it runs down and it just goes to the far reaches places of our life. It's a commanded blessing. But what is the criteria to live in this commanded blessing? To live in unity. If we remove unity, we remove the, the, the commanded blessing. If we keep unity intact, then we can benefit from the blessing of this commanded blessing in our lives. Amen? Amen. We see all through scripture that it's conditional. It's based on what we do or don't do. It's up to us. I'll tell you what, I want an abundant blessing covering every area of my life. I want it running over to my children where they say, I don't know. And their children say, I don't know. I don't know. Because it is just an abundance running off of my life and my season of my obedience that I set up generations to come. Right? That's what we want. And that's what God wants for his church, a blessing that covers all of us. But a church that truly stands united is a powerful church. I want to look at Romans 12, 9 through 18 in the New Living Translation this morning. This is where we're going to take the meat and the context of everything that we're going to talk about this morning in talking about the power of unity. This passage does a really good job communicating what is unity, what does it look like, what does it look like for me. Let's, so let's jump into that, the context of the message. Romans 12, starting in verse 9. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other out of genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident home, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help, help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud or enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Got anybody out here? All right. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. So unity is not something that will automatically happen. But it's going to be something that we have to work for. That we have to focus on. That we have to build and we have to establish. And then once we have it, we need to keep it. So this morning we're going to look at three ways to release the power of unity. Number one, we have to fight for the unity of the church. If you've been in this church for long enough, you have heard me say that. We fight for the unity of the church here. That doesn't mean that, oh, well, she got mad. It's whatever. She just have it. She has issues and we just let her go. No, we're not going to let her go. We're going to say, hey, we're going to pursue that relationship. We're going to try to live at peace and work through that. We're not just going to be like, well, it was all them. Right? We're going to hold ourselves personally accountable for what did we do or what did we not do or what can we do? And I mean, I don't know how far we'll chase people, but we'll chase people down. Right? You're stuck in this family if you're part of this family. We're called to live in unity. You know, unity does not mean we will never get on each other's nerves. You realize that? If anything, fighting for unity looks like I got to kind of polish myself because I'm pretty rough too, just like you're rough. And you got rough edges and it's not always, you know, we have to work to get along. You realize that? How many of you got friends that you choose and then friends you got to choose? Right ones, you're like, man, Lord, I'd be good if it wasn't for this person. You got to be careful because somebody might be thinking the same thing about you. All right? So deal with yourself. Make sure that we're doing everything that we can to fight for that unity, but be proactive in that. So what does this passage say when we talk about fight for the unity of the church? We fight for the unity of the church because we want it or we want to keep it. 
Think about it. The things that we fight for, we try to keep it. We try to get it. But then we want, we want to make sure that we're pursuing others. So that passage says, really love others. Why would it say really love others? Because perhaps some of us say, we love you. And we don't really love Right, we know that words are one thing, but actions are what we're looking for, right? You know, a husband or a wife, you don't just say, baby, tell me you love me. What do you say? Hey, show me you love me, right? That's where the work comes in. I can say I love you all day long, and it don't matter if I don't have actions to follow up with that love. So really love each other. What does that look like? John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for their friends. So unity always considers the well-being of others comfort and conven- rather than the comfort and convenience of ourselves. Uh, husbands and wives, I hope you, when you got married, you weren't, just in it for what is in it for you. If that's the case, you're going to be, have a life full of disappointments, says uh, 16 years of marriage on my end. The goal of marriage is to serve the other one without obligation or expectation. If you're serving in a, in a way to get something back, you understand that that's manipulation. Well, I'll do A, B, and C if you do A, B, and C. It's stuck to conditional love instead of unconditional love. So love serves as a sacrificial act, not to what you can get out of it, but how can you just love people and love people well? How can you consider others, uh, the importance of others' well-being more than yourself? Um, I think it's really easy. Are your decisions made out of your comfort or what you can get out of it or how it's going to affect you? It's pretty easy. How many of you know it's pretty easy to identify selfish motives? Well, pastor, you don't under... So it's about you. Okay, I understand. But God wants us to be focused on loving others and loving others well. What else does that passage say? It says, hold tight to what is good. So that means don't hold on to what's negative. Now, how do you know if you're holding on to what's negative? I talk to a lot of people. Now, in conversation, they usually bring up those things that they're holding on to. Now, sometimes those are good things. Hey, let me tell you about my church history. Let me tell you what's going on. But I tell you what, when you tell me something in conversation that, that happened to you in 1942 and you're still holding on to it, that is holding on to what is negative. Say, Pastor, I wasn't even born in 1942. Well, deep down, God, you were going to be holding on to that because you're still holding on to it. And you need to let it loose. It says, hold to what is good. But the things that come out, those are those things that still have you. You know, love is quick to forgive. Hello? Love is quick to live at peace. We know the love chapter. What does it say? Love is patient. Love is kind. Keeps no record or wrong. Well, I'll tell you what. If you snatch a hold of something and you're holding something against me that I did a long time ago, you're keeping record or wrong. It's time to let those things go. Because it says, hold tightly to those things that are good. Don't hold tightly to those things that are negative. Encourage you to, you know, in fighting for the unity of the church, be a unity builder, not a unity breaker. Fight for the unity. Don't fight and, and, you know, cause um, disunity or discord among us. You don't have to be right in every confrontation. Can you get over that? Well, they didn't agree with me. They don't need to agree with you. Man, I've seen it even, you know... I'll be a little vulnerable, like uh, pastors are some of the worst guys that for getting along. And, and you know, and, and I'm not, 
judging anyone specifically, but you know what the biggest issue even amongst pastors, why they can't be united? Because they have to be right. Maybe I'm too young or dumb to be right and I don't really give a rip, which is a totally different perspective. Like I'm just like, hey, we all agree on Jesus, right? Well, yeah, but what about all these? Well, man, if we agree with Jesus, we're okay. We can all be in the same room and live at peace. But a lot of times that discord comes out of a desire. I have to be right. I have to be the smartest person in the room. And I have to know more than you because there's this huge insecurity. And I was like, man, and I know I'm a good pastor because God is good to me and God is good in me. And there's very little that I contribute to this. But God has been great in my life. If there's anything good you see in Pastor Noah, it's because God put it there. I can tell you what, it didn't get on the, on the order when I was created. But God put those insecurities in me, but he's worked past those insecurities. And he has called me to boast and be confident in what he is doing in and through me. So when I say God can do all things through Christ, yeah, he can do them all through Christ. But he can't do them through Noah. But he can do them through Christ. That's the difference. God can work in us. But you know what? If we are trying to be right, if we're trying to be correct, if our motive and our, our, our answer is the only answer that matters, man, it's going to really be hard for you to get along with other people and live in unity. Try to understand other people. Try to listen for a change. Shut your mouth and let them talk. Right? I've got a bad habit with that sometimes. God's really been teaching me just, man, listen to their heart. What are they trying to say? And I'll tell you what, as a pastor, I know pretty quick if it's biblical or not. So even when it's not biblical, I still try to understand where they're coming from because it still matters. I can say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't you know the Bible says? Have you ever talked with a pastor or counseled with a pastor? But hear their heart, hear where they're coming from, figure out where the enemy has kind of put something in there that's made them see unclearly and then speak to that. But we can be a unity builder. We don't need to be a unity breaker. We need to fight to be united with our brothers and sisters. Hold tightly to what's good. Fight for that unity. Um, And being a unity builder, um, you got to have a good attitude. Right? Have a good attitude. Be happy. Be be pleasant to be around. How many of you have ever been around people that they're just not pleasant people? You want to be around those people? Well, if you're not a pleasant person, they don't want to be around you either. I say, Lord, help me be pleasant. Help me be friendly. Help me to be kind. Right? Hopefully Jesus in us is what we are attracted to in each other is the first thing that will hold us to a place of unity. The spirit of God living in me and the spirit of God living in you is what makes unity achievable. Right? It's real hard to be closely unified with somebody who is not a follower of Jesus. Because technically they don't even have the spirit of God in them. They don't have a heart that has been radically changed, right? So it's really hard to just keep that unity. But as the church, talking to Christians in the room, right? Right? To the Christians in the room, God has called us to a higher standard. Watch your attitudes. Be a a unity builder, not a unity breaker. Um, What are you doing to fight for the unity of the church? So that's that's a question for you. If you're new here or you're just attending, don't feel like you got to answer that. But think about that. If you've attended other churches or you've been a part of a church community, what are you doing to fight for that unity, to hold it together, to say, hey, you're not going to get away from me and we're going to cling tight to each other and we're going to get through this. What are you doing to proactively cling to each other? 
But what it really requires, it requires me to hold on to you and you to hold on to me. Have you ever seen in the movies where somebody has fallen and they're trying to help them up? What this looks like when you're fighting by yourself, you're just clinging to them, but they're not clinging to you. How many of you know it's easier to rescue someone when I hold on to you and you hold on to me and I look at you in the eyes and say, I'm not letting you go. And you say, I'm not letting you go either. And we get through it. It don't matter what you fell into. How many of you know that's what the church and that's what friends are for? Nobody needs nobody till they need somebody. You ever been there? Man, I just, man, I didn't want to call nobody. But brother, I got in a, why do we not call people more often? Why do we not get them involved in our lives so we don't fall as fall in as many potholes or get stuck in places where we got to call that lifeline? Perhaps it's because we journey alone and we're not really being builders and fighters of unity. We're pursuing the one man band, right? We want to be the hero. You know what happens in real life to the hero? The hero dies. Right. I know in the movies, it always looks, the hero's awesome. In real life, the hero often dies. You have to work as a team. You have to be the church. You have to be united with one another because it's where we win together or we die together. But I'll tell you what, for us to all die together, they're going to have to pick off a whole lot of us, not just one of us. Okay. Um, so what are you doing to fight for the unity of the church? Refuse to give up on other people. Uh, keep forgiving. Like, I know this is a word that people don't like to talk about, but keep forgiving people. Don't hold an offense. Don't hold on to wrongs. Be quick to forgive. Forgive others like right now because you might be the next one that needs forgiving. Well, I ain't going to forgive you. And next you do something really dumb. Hey, uh, brother, will you forgive me? And what if they gave you what you gave them? No, I ain't forgiving you, bro. Good luck. That's between you and God. Good luck with that. And you're left in a rock and a hard place because what are you supposed to do with that when the people of God say, I'm not going to forgive you because of what you did to me? You know, every time I get to that place of thinking I can judge, man, that God just says, hey, Pastor Noe, you remember what I've forgiven you from, right? So, ooh, a lot. Well, then why in the world are you going to hold forgiveness from them? And immediately I say, hey, my bad, bro, I forgive you. Changes my motives. When I remember what God has done for me and what he's forgiven me for, Who am I to withhold forgiveness from anyone? Pastor, you don't understand. No, I understand. I've been sinned against, but I withhold nothing. I'm quick to forgive. You know, another thing God has blessed me with, my memory does not remember stuff. Like straight up. Like you'll say, hey man, you remember that one time, like if I did something dumb or bad, like it's hard for me to remember. I think that's just a blessing and a curse. I write notes so I remember what to say, but man, like I just... I'm a guy that if I got something against you or I'm frustrated with you, I'm going to let you know. If I'm all good and, hey, man, what's up? And like I act like nothing's going on, that's because nothing's going on or I don't remember and you have been forgiven. If I have issues, I'm going to confront you. I'm going to say, hey, man, the other day when you said that, man, it really just caught me wrong and kind of hurt me, man. And I, I love you and I'm fighting for this unity and I don't want to hold an offense against you, bro. Like I just need to tell you. And then hopefully you're not like, like hopefully you're like, oh, man, my bad. I didn't see that. And... We resolve that conflict and we're quick to forgive. And, you know, if we, if we uh, live in the church long enough, there will definitely be an opportunity to practice forgiveness. Um, but it's one of those things that the enemy will use to really cause discord and sever unity. So when we talk about fighting for unity, I have to kind of lay my life down. Right? It says greater love than no one than to lay your life down for your friends. That's what Jesus did. So we have to do that with each other. Um, 
Choose to stand united before the problems come. How many of you have either gotten married or you've been to, the, to a wedding where people talk about the vows, right? The vows are a big part of the wedding. And how many of you know it says for better or for worse? Now, how many of you know we say that before we get to the worse? If you've been married, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you just thought it was for better because you're thinking three days into the marriage. You're not thinking like three years, 30 years down the road. The troubles are going to come. But I say what I'm going to do before I get the chance to practice that. When it gets bad, when, when the bad comes in, 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 for good or for worse, when the worst hits me, I'm still in this. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to flake out. We're in this for a lifetime and we're in this together. What about for richer or for poor? Well, I'm poor. All right? I was expecting all these riches. I was expecting all of these great things. And look what life's given me. What these vows are really saying, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm with you. We fight for this. We fight when we're rich. We fight when we're poor. Tell you what, there's a whole lot more fighting when we're poor, huh? All right? Maybe when sickness comes, whatever it is, we're in it because we're in it together. But we communicate the vows before it comes. Decide right now what you're going to do when the offense comes. Decide right now what you're going to do when your best friend talked bad about you, but you thought he was and he really wasn't, but you never talked to him. You took somebody else's word for it. Dumb mistake. When you think somebody has wronged you, you know what the rule is? The Bible says go to the source. I'll tell you what, if you hear somebody saying that about me, well, Pastor Noe said he would da 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 I'm too smart to run my mouth. But you can always come back to me, hey, so-and-so said this, is that true? And most of the time, you know what happens? Man, I didn't say that. But it was the devil trying to stir up something that was not even from me. But if we listen to his voice, guess what? We will get all kinds of offended. If we go to the source, going to the source really just throws the water on that fire that the enemy wants to create in our relationships and keeps healthy, whole relationships. But this is how we fight for the unity of the church. You got it? Man, I could probably preach on this for like the rest of the day, but I'm going to keep moving, okay? So we want to fight for the unity of the church. We want to keep it. We want to keep it established. What else does it say? It says, um, respond with love, with genuine affection, okay? So um, John 13, 35, it says, but by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By how? If you love one another. You know, this is the statement. Don't just say it, show it. Like, if you couldn't say anything, would your actions show love for each other? You know, how can you see this in a spouse, right? You know, your husband opens the door and grabs your seatbelt and makes sure you're locked in. And, you know, or you hit the brakes and, you know, that love catch where you're like, you hit the brakes and your hand goes up. <laughs> giving your life or your right arm for your spouse. Like, what, what acts, like, what, what, if you couldn't say I love you, how would you show someone you love them? It's different for each of us, but I hope that the world sees us because of our love for one another in a way that, they can see it. We just don't talk about it, okay? Um, practice what you're saying. Don't just say words, meaningless words. It says delight in honoring others. So um, we have to realize in honoring others, if you win, I win. If you lose, I lose, right? It's a team sport here. We're all in this together. Um, if one's losing, we're all losing. Your victory is my victory. Your loss is my lo loss. And it says have the highest respect. Honor each other. I don't need to get territorial about your wins and your accomplishments. I want to celebrate that. That is a great thing. You know, we have, a, we have a, a young man in our church that got student of the year. 
student of the year, like of all the students, number numero uno. And I talked to the parents about that. I said, you know, without good kid, without good parents, you don't have good kids. You know, and well, Pastor, no, we honor that. That is a big deal. That is a great accomplishment. We honor to whom honor is due. But guess what? They members of Harvest Time Church. <laughs> We're showing. And we're communicating to the world. We got great people and we have a great church and we are united in all of this. When they win, we win. Okay? So what do we do? We fight for the unity of the church. Number two, um, we fight for it. We have to also build the unity of the church. So we build something we don't have. How many of you have ever built something? Know that building is what? Hard work. Right? Building of anything requires work. It requires diligence. It requires us to do something. Um, so what does the scripture encourage us here? It says, never be lazy. So not taking personal responsibility to do your part, um, that's a big deal. You have to help put in the work. Um, teamwork makes the dream work. You've probably heard me say that. In this church, we work in team. Uh, now, it instructs us, never be lazy. My son's not in the second service. He was in the first service. I threw his laundry out there literally anyway, so I'm gonna do it again in this service. So my son... His bedroom is always crazy messy. Like I'm straight up like, what does lazy look like practically? That's it. So you have a coat on, you go to your room, perfectly good hangers, a perfectly good closet that the hanger should go on. But in my laziness, I'm just going to take the coat off and right there in the middle of the floor looks like the best spot to put it. Well, I'm smart enough. Well, I know if I put it there, I'm going to have to pick it up later. But what does laziness look like? Like, I'm just kind of like, I could have went there. I could have just. Laziness. Now, why does laziness matter? Because laziness is the lack of putting in work. I just hope to benefit from the results, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and hopefully it will just come to me. Right? But it says never be lazy. So laziness. Um, has to, do, has to do with reflecting your effort. So laziness produces very little, but most of the time it produces nothing. You're sitting there, right? High hopes. What else does it say? Work hard. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working unto the Lord, not to human masters. Colossians 3.23. And then it says, serve the Lord enthusiastically. So do we understand that there's an expectation that we all serve in some capacity? And when we serve, we serve enthusiastically? Enthusiastically means we're excited about doing it. Not like when I tell my kid to take out the trash. You ever been there, done that? Hey, take out the trash. I'm going to take out the trash. Let's walk in the whole way, grumbling and complaining. I guess I want my kid skipping in. Sure, Dad. And he'll grab it and skip to the, to the road and skip back. And Dad, look at me. I took the trash out. I guess that's what enthusiastically would look like. But I think sometimes in the way we serve, that's what it looks like. We're going, oh, what I got? Oh, man. You know, somebody's got to do the hard jobs. Now, I'll tell you what, many of you probably show up weekend after weekend and you've never paid attention to the six acres that this, proper, that this building is on. Now, if you have ever cut the grass here, it's a completely different perspective because it will take like four or five hours of your life to get all this yard cut. Right? But you take a personal interest when you, when you serve and you work and you contribute to what you're doing. And we love you serving because it allows you to take a common interest in the church and people and all of those things. Tell you what, when we got these new chairs, man, we were busting them kids up. Quit jumping on them. Da -da -da, quit, you know, we were all super strict because we had pews in here forever. When we got something new, huh, man, get all that 
purse. Get all that stuff out of there. We don't, I mean, we're like, we don't really care no more. The new wore off. But let me tell you what, when you contribute to something, how many of you know it's really personal? What if you got a brand new couch at your house and you're all excited about it and Pastor Noe shows up and I decide to jump on that couch. You think that's okay? Pastor, that ain't no trampoline. You said we got to fight for unity, but we about to fight. Get off my couch. What serving does, it, it allows you to be personal. It allows you to take an interest in the building, in the, in, the, in the community, in the kingdom of God. Do you take it personal? If you serve in God's kingdom, you care about God's kingdom. Amen. Now, you got to see that. We get, a, we get to do a small part on Sundays and weekends and in the community of church. But in the big picture, we are serving the kingdom of God. But when we do that, we become personally interested. Maybe we're walking from here to our car and we see a piece of trash. This is how you know if you're invested in it or not. If you look, well, now if you don't see it, you don't see it. Man, I see everything. It's like a horrible gift. But I see all of it. But your response can look and say, oh, somebody else will pick that up. That's not my job. Or the personal interest side would be like, you know what, man? I'll take care of this church. I'm be united. It's a big deal. Take ownership. You pick it up and just handle it. That's what it looks like. But we know being lazy, not working hard, not being diligent is counterproductive to these things that God wants us to put in. So building unity, working hard for unity, serving enthusiastically, um, keeping your eyes on, on asking, Lord, what pleases you? What blesses your heart? Um, keeping your eyes on pleasing God, not pleasing others. Right? You know, we work as unto the Lord, not unto men. Um, another part of that passage says, help others when they have a need. So these are God's people. Be quick to help someone in need. Um, you know, I had a, a project I was going to do at the house, and I was going to go to my dad's house to get a brand new saw blade. I had a saw blade. Man, it was old and busted up. And I was halfway there, and I stopped by a buddy's house, talked to him just for a minute. And uh, he said, well, I got a saw you can borrow. And usually I'm just like, no, because the manly thing to do is have my own saw, to have my own blade. And, and, and I thought about it. I said, idiot. You know how much faster you'll get done this project if you just borrow it? And I was like, man, I will borrow that saw. So he walks to the back. He comes back and he didn't give me the, give me the saw, but he gave me a brand new blade. He said, hey, try this one. Well, I'll tell you what, I didn't know how dull my blade was till I got back to the house. And man, I'm talking like, have you, women, you, we got women need help with this picture? Okay. It's like, it's like cutting through frozen butter versus soft butter. Got it? When you, you can't, you got to let the butter up on the same page. Same idea. Let me get back to the saw blade. So now we're all in the same room. So, man, I'm sitting here sawing with this old one, pushing it. <laughs> I put that new blade on and I almost fall over because I go like this. <laughs> How did I get this blessing? Because somebody in the church wanted to meet a need and to help a brother in need. He didn't just let me borrow his saw. He gave me a brand new saw blade. I said, I said, brother, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to take care of that. And you know what? That thing's going to keep giving for a long time. So we help others, tangible, practical. If you got more than enough of something, sometimes God will lead you to give that away to others, to bless others, help others out. Um, eagerly practice hospitality. It says eagerly practice. So if you, you're to practice hospitality, that means what? You're going to do it. So hospitality, that is being friendly. That's being generous to, to maybe a guest, maybe a visitor, maybe even a stranger. Well, pastor, I'm only going to be nice to those that I know, man. I don't want you to do that. You know, people visiting maybe for the first time, they may need that love of Jesus. They may need that smile, you know, 
ask God for that grace to love people like he loves them, okay? But um, practice hospitality. Uh, how many of you know that when we practice something, we get better at it? All right, those things we're really, really good at, we probably practice. So when we practice hospitality, when we do it, we will get better at it. Uh, so let me get on this last third point. So uh, number one, we fight for the unity of the church. Number two, we build the unity of the church. Number three, we keep the unity of the church. This is the easiest part. Once we have it and we've built it, we are to maintain it now. Right? You've already put in the work. You've already established it. You've already built it. That is securing what we have. Now, how do we do this, guys? I believe that a praying church is a church that stays together. Prayer is the unity and the, th- the thing that causes unity to happen. A praying church is a powerful church. A church that's pr- that does not pray will cease to exist. I promise you that. How many of you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, man. We got prayer and fasting week this next week. We see if y'all are really serious about that. Because a praying church is a thriving church. And this next week, we're going to get together Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we're going to come back Sunday morning. Expect God to do great things. And then you know what we have Sunday night, next Sunday night? We've got a night of worship. We've never done that. Maybe we have. It's been a long time. It's never been on the calendar. We've got three of them planned this year. So I'm believing coming out of that fasting week, God is just going to move in power. And he's just going to like expedite the course of this church for this year. It's going to be a powerful time. But only for those who show up, right? For those who pray, for those who prepare. But a praying church is a thriving church. It keeps and it secures what we have. It allows God to fight on our behalf. Um, It says to pray for those that persecute you. This is challenging. Um, But you know what I believe happens when we begin to pray for those who have wronged us or are hard to us or we don't like? Do you realize the things we begin to pray about, we begin to care about? Right? If you wanted to nudge your husband or your wife at that moment, it is time to start to pray for your spouse. Right? Pray for your spouse. Pray for those things that maybe your heart isn't driven towards and see what God does. Because the things we pray about are the things we begin to care about. Okay? Um, Don't seek to get even. It says live in harmony. Living in harmony simply means uh, try to get along with each other. Don't bicker. Don't fight. Don't backbite. It's it's saying, why can't we just all get along? You know, as a pastor looking at, you know, when you have a whole bunch of kids, we just went on a road trip, just got back. You know, those moments where all the kids are fighting and you're just like, everybody stop. Everybody freaks out. The kids look at you. Hey, none of them know what's doing wrong. Just live in unity. Live at peace. Quit fighting. Quit arguing. I don't care who did what. You ever been there? I've been there. Let's not be that as the church. Bickering, fighting. Let's live in unity. Let's live at peace with each other. It says, um, do the honorable thing at all times. Uh, best way that I can kind of communicate this to you is uh, don't embarrass the family. What I mean by that is represent and honor first and foremost Christ well. And then realize also as a member or a tender of Harvest Time Church, you also bear the name of Harvest Time Church. And as of right now, Harvest Time has a pretty good name. So please don't mess that up. Oh, you're from Harvest Time, huh? Right now we have a great reputation with people around us. Let's keep that intact and continue to build the church that God wants. I'll tell you what, if we're a bunch of dumb people doing a bunch of dumb stuff outside the four walls and we call ourselves Harvest Time Church and the people of God, how many of you know that jeopardizes all of those names? Let's be the church. Let's represent God well. Let's represent the church well. And let's not embarrass the family in what we do. Be honorable at all times. Um, It says, don't be arrogant and think of others better than yourself. 
Realize that uh, you don't know everything. You know God almost always puts smarter, better people in the same room as you. I think he does that to keep you humble, right? Um, maybe you've, you're, you're talking with somebody and um, the biggest thing we have to realize, do you know we all have different perspectives? Different perspectives does not mean right and wrong. It's just different perspectives. So in our building unity, try to understand the other person. As a pastor, sometimes this is hard if somebody's telling me something that is straight up contrary to scripture. Because I immediately want to be, whoa, 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 what the Bible says. Well, you know what I have learned? Just shut up. It ain't going to help nothing. But let me try to understand why they're saying what they're saying or their thought process behind what they're saying. And then at some point, maybe there can be some light shed into that. But realize we all have different perspectives, but we should all have the same goal. Perspective is great. Man, I love people with fresh perspective. Hey, what'd you think of the service? Man, I thought it was horrible. Great. Tell me more about that. Like straight up, that's how my mind works. Tell me what we can do better. Tell me where we're failing so we can be the best church we can be. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I, in the new membership class, I ask you, what can we do better? Where can we improve? What needs were not met? Straight up, unapologetically. And everybody's like, well, Pat, get super nervous because I think they think they're going to hurt my feelings. So if you're filling out a connect card today and there's something we can do better, straight up tell me. It'll get to my office on my desk and we're going to try to do the best we can. Because a united church is a thriving church. Now, I can't meet all the needs. I can't greet all the people. I can't do everything. But guess what? As a church, we can. That's part of being united, that we are able to accomplish more together. And I love it, working this team. Because when I win, you win. When you succeed, I succeed. But when you struggle, I struggle. But we war together in this big picture of what we're doing. The last charge of that scripture says um, that it is your responsibility to live at peace with everyone. It says, do all you can. Do you realize you are the only controllable variable in the equation? You can hope to control the person that should have said hi, or maybe a lot of people didn't greet you and you felt like, what? All you can do is, how are you going to respond? How are you going to promote unity? What are you going to do to fight for the unity of the church? What are you going to do to build the unity of the church? And then what are we going to do to keep the unity of the church after we work so hard to build it and to fight for it? I know on my end, I'm going to fight for unity and building and keeping the unity. You realize that when we fight together, it makes it impossible for the devil to have the upper hand. Do you realize that when we fight united? It's that commanded blessing. If you mess with one of us... Hey, hold on. I'll just text. Hey, we are Harvest Time Church, and I'll show up with all my guys. We fight and we war together. We're a family. All we do. need to ask the Lord to help us keep a spirit of unity among us that pleases Him. And when we do that and we fight for unity, we should expect blessing. Amen. Can you stand up with us? We do our part. God does his part. That should be the expectation. Amen. This morning, it's time to let go of all of the things that have hindered you. And begin to thrive today in living in the power of unity. God wants us just to step into this new blessed season. So God showed me something real quick through this series. 
when we talked about the power of prophetic worship, what it did, it positioned you in the presence of God to be changed. That's what that weapon does. Secondly, the power of the word, what does it do? The power of the word empowers you to be effective in the work of ministry and to accomplish all of these things that God has called us to. And number three, the power of unity secures you in a family unit where you can succeed and thrive. So all of these weapons, they position you, they empower you, and they secure you. Amen? So in order for these weapons to be used as they are designed, how many of you know they have to be applied? So I'm going to pray over us that we would do that. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I thank you for just the spirit of unity where we can, fu- we can have fun, we can celebrate. Father, we, we, can, we can choose to get along. And Father, and really live at peace with each other. And not just living at peace, Father, but thriving. Father, I pray uh, if there's anyone here that has never experienced the benefits of a great family of believers, that, Father, that this would be the day that they would dream again to venture into either experiencing that for the first time or redeeming that which maybe they haven't had in the past. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in and through us, the things we know about, the things we don't. Father, as we go from this place, I pray that we would represent you well. Father, that we would love on people. And Father, that uh, Father, we would just see your kingdom advanced in all things. Lord, I thank you for the power of unity. And now, Father, I ask that you'd give us the grace to walk it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.